0: You pray with me. The Lord, as we turn to your word and uh, look for your covenant promises and look for your wisdom that surpasses all human understanding, will you open our eyes to see wonderful things? And will you equip us with the things that we need to live in this life <clears throat> under the sun? That we would glorify you and enjoy you forever, Amen. Continuing back with our series in Ecclesiastes, it's been a few weeks. If you want to turn with me, there we're in Ecclesiastes chapter eleven. I'll just read the passage now and give a bit of an introduction uh, with the sermon. It's printed in your bulletin as well, and. And if you're using one of the Bibles in the chairs there, it's on page 957. The preacher says, Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way, of the, the, way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning, sow your seed. In the evening, withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. And let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. (coughs) Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body. For youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Grass withers and the flower falls. In fact, our lives themselves (coughs) come to an end, but... The Word of God stands forever. Praise Him. Let's continue to worship and stand and sing, uh, Be Still My Soul. This week was a difficult week for me and for some of the people that I work alongside and uh, serve at the San Diego Police Department And my role as a chaplain. On New Year's Day, I got a call while our family was out to come and to help the boyfriend a fellow officer of another officer who committed suicide on New Year's Eve. Death uh, draws near to us in strange ways and does strange things to us. As I was preparing for this sermon on chapter 11, I came across one writer who pointed out the director, Oliver Stone, in his movie, Platoon, 1986, Opened the movie with the first half of verse 9, the King James Version, saying, Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth. And that black screen pans immediately over to a young Charlie Sheen playing a private who's arriving in Vietnam for his beginning of tour in Vietnam. Bright eyed, but immediately off the plane faced with multiple soldiers who have fallen and are in black body bags being transported to other planes. Rejoice, O oh young man, in your youth. Had an ironic ring to that, and immediately this young, uh, young soldier named Taylor, I've not seen the movie as a whole, I can't say whether I recommend it or not, is faced with the reality that youth, in all of its vibrancy and excitement, energy, is oftentimes shattered with the reality of life. There's one thing that the author of Ecclesiastes has been bringing us back to over and over again with circles coming back to it. It is this concept of vanity which... When we hear the word today, we think of looking in the mirror too much or some sort of narcissistic vanity, but what it means in Hebrew is much more profound, and that is that it's temporal. It's something that is of a mist nature. The writer of Ecclesiastes is looking for something substantive that lasts, that doesn't fade when the sun comes out and burns away the dew or the mist or the marine layer. The writer, director Oliver Stone was looking for something that lasts because he served himself in Vietnam and many people credit him for making the first somewhat honest movie of the experience in Vietnam that didn't gloss over the tragedies of war and the difficulties of war. And in a very similar way, the writer of Ecclesiastes, like so many writers in scripture, don't gloss over the difficulties and the realities of life. The challenges that come and face us head on, like a suicide of a good friend, and all the chaos that ensues out of that. The death of someone unexpected, still in the vibrancy of their youth, or even much more painful in their childhood. Wisdom literature wants us to come to the realities of life and ask the tough questions, where is God? God, how can you let this thing happen? Wisdom literature doesn't settle with simplistic answers and trite sayings or silver linings. There's always somebody who's worse off than you, unless you're the worst off of all. And then what do you tell that person? We oftentimes find our comfort in those types of places. But as we've walked through the writing of Ecclesiastes, again, wisdom literature oftentimes in the genre of an older, wiser person instilling wisdom to a younger, perhaps even youthful person, We've come now to a place where we're drawing some of those ideas to a close and bringing them together. And it's ironic, perhaps, in verse, chapter 11, verse 1, that the chapter opens with still something of a conundrum in question. What does it mean that you are to cast your bread upon the waters? Which makes us think of tossing bread to ducks in a pond in Balboa Park. Nothing could be further from the truth. The questions about what this passage means, especially those first few verses, can sometimes cloud our understanding of this chapter as a whole, which really zeroes in on that verse 9 in the instruction. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. There is the essence of this whole chapter and really this passage. But before we get there, we have to walk through some of the other conundrums that he brings us to, because that's the way of life. When we actually find truth, we're confronted with difficulty. We're asking the difficult questions. We're confronted with situations in our life that make us say, I thought I had it all figured out, as one person said in the Sunday school class this morning, but now I hear these things and I don't know if I do. The scriptures aren't meant to all be figured out. They're meant to be enough for a lifetime or even the lifetime of many people wrestling to try to understand the things of God and God saying calmly to them, Do you know that the the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child? Even with all of our medical advances and knowing the, the ins and outs of how those things happen, you still have to come to some point where you say, no, I don't understand everything about that. We can't replicate that entirely. We can clone by taking some things out of one animal and putting them into another animal. But still, we cannot recreate that creation. It's impossible. But God God doesn't say that in an angry way generally. He says it in an understanding way to his children. Wanting us to see that there's something more to this whole story that we don't always understand. Let's look at this just going to through this passage, a couple of points at a time, look at three or four points here. The first one, cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it in many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. What does that mean? Many people have suggested it's an economic advice to kings in Israel. Israel, geographically, was in a very central place. Trade routes went from Egypt up to Mesopotamia and passed through Israel. Ships coming from the Mediterranean Sea and wanting to go to Mesopotamia also would often land in Israel or ne- very nearby Israel. Israel was notoriously afraid of the water because water symbolized death, it was dangerous. Waters. Waters are an interesting thing to say, cast your bread upon the economic advice that some people assume is saying, Israel, you need to trade with other nations. Send your bread, your produce out to other nations and after days it will come back to you in the form of proceeds, profits, maybe even friends and allies as a country. Jesus tells a parable in Luke chapter 16 of a dishonest manager who he seems to praise on the one hand, but also critique his manager was was coming under fire. He was guilty and his his overseer was coming to collect. And he goes off and he goes to all the people who owe him money and says, I'm going to cut your bill in half. Just give me what you need and then we'll call it even. And you expect Jesus to say, well, he's doing something with somebody else's money he shouldn't be. But in, 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 instead, Jesus says, this guy knew that he was losing friends with his boss. He needed to make other friends. He praises it. He says, seek after those friends. Make sure you have your friends. Give a portion to seven or even to eight. Invite them in. Make friends so that when the day of disaster comes, if it comes, you don't know when it's going to come, You'll have people to turn to. Seven. Nice, perfect number. But even exceed that perfect number, that fullness. Even exceed. Make these friends. Jesus says, make friends on earth. Fleshy friends. But even more so, make friends in heaven. Spirit friends. God friends. Cast your bread on the waters. Give generously. Send those things out. And it will come back to you. I think there's some truth in that interpretation. Other people, other people have looked at this and said, I think he's talking about making beer. <laughs> Homebrewers know that you use the same materials you use for making bread and making beer. Put it in the water. Let it ferment. I think it's a viable option. I like that option. Frankly, there's so many breweries in San Diego now, I'm getting a little tired of beer. I'm turning to other things. But, you know, that's another story. I don't think that that's it. I think that when we talk about Life in Israel in the time of Solomon. You have to realize that Israel as a nation state was still fairly young. Solomon was extending his kingdom into areas that meant that Israel was even more at the center of the economic trade. We looked recently at the problems of Israel later in their history Turning to other nations for help and depending on those nations more than they were depending on God. And we critique that rightly. But in fact, in Solomon's time, Israel was still exercising its call to be a blessing to the nations. Go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12 that initial time, there's sort of the prehistory leading up to God calling one particular family, and it's the family that started with one particular married couple with no kids, Abram and Sarai, who become Abraham and Sarah. And the first things that are recorded of God saying to Abraham and Sarah are, look, I am going to bless your family so that you will be a blessing to many nations. Many tribes, many peoples. And still, in Solomon's time, Israel may have some of this rightly in their view of being a blessing to many nations. Not just neighbors, not just people you like, but sending your blessings, your bread, your provisions out to the other nations. Not so much to see what God sends back to you through them in terms of material blessing or payment, but to see what God sends back to you from his own blessing in terms of people coming and turning to the God who made everything, the living God, the God who is more powerful than the gods of these other nations that are false gods, statues, carvings that can't speak, Give a portion of what you have received from God and see what happens. Jesus says the same thing to his disciples and to others who are listening to him. He says, what you've done for the least of these, you've done for me. When did we see you hungry? When did we see you thirsting? And give you what you needed, Jesus. Tell us, he says, when you saw those who are poor, those who are lonely. powerful story that we've been reading. We've been reading a series of short stories by Oscar Wilde with our kids, and one of them is of a young prince, and a sparrow. And the prince is a statue made of gold and with jewels in his eyes. And the sparrow comes to him and finds a place to nest in the statue. The prince instructs the sparrow to take and pluck the jewel, one jewel at a time, out of his eyes and take them to various poor people, those in need. Each time along the way, the sparrow is reminded that he's late for late moving, migrating south. And each time, he's in greater and greater danger. The prince tells him to go. The sparrow says, no, I will stay here and be with you and serve you. Takes off the gold from him, takes off everything so that in the end, the prince is stripped naked, bare, And the sparrow lies dying from the cold. The people of the town come to the statue and they wonder what had happened to their beautiful statue. And the councilmen and women and the governing authorities say this statue has no more value to our community. Tear it down and throw it and the dead bird out in the trash heap. And in a powerful way, Oscar Wilde in the last paragraph simply says Then an angel came to find what was most valuable in the town. And God identified the statue of the prince and the dead bird as those who had followed his commands, as those who were truly beautiful, the only beautiful things. That were there. The message of Ecclesiastes, I said at the beginning, and I'll reiterate, is one of God's generosity to people. And the generosity He calls us His people to offer to other people. Cast your bread upon the waters. You may not see immediately how it will come back, but in that generosity you will be blessed. Second, If clouds are full of rain, verse 3, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. There is a... A depth, a danger in pursuing wisdom. When we come to these difficult questions in life, when we ask and find these difficult answers, one of the dangers of being in those places is a paralysis. Have you ever noticed it's far easier to act when you're oblivious to all the ramifications of your decisions than when you know all of those ramifications, usually. The writer Malcolm Gladwell, in his uh, best-selling book, Blink, makes the point comparing those who analyze all kinds of details to those who make instinctual decisions. And essentially his point is that those who make instinctual decisions oftentimes end up making the right decision almost as often as those who have all kinds of information to analyze. Now there are limitations to that, and I don't want you to take that and say that was the main application of this sermon. The point I want you to know out of that is that here out of this is that when we have this information, when we look at the clouds and we try to predict the rain, when we look around and we try to figure out everything, oftentimes it leads us to that classic analysis, paralysis of analysis that leaves us indecisive and ineffective in life. And if we jump ahead to verse 9 here and we look at that and compare that to what we're seeing here. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth and in your heart cheer you. let, Let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. I think that what the author here is getting at is that there is a benefit to just doing it some of the time. Just do it. Think about it pray about it, know about it, but if you are just doing those things all the time, you are ultimately ineffectual. If you're always looking at the clouds and trying to prepare and, and, and plan for every contingency, you're like the man in Proverbs 22 and 26, twice that's described as the sluggard. That says there's a lion outside I should be killed in the streets I can't go out today we're stuck we're stuck and we can't move forward now there's a danger in this right there's wisdom that needs to be employed applied because if we just march headlong without any information We march into a place that is filled with death and dying in the place where the tree falls there it lies that's the end death comes to everyone but don't you see there's a danger on the other side where we don't do anything where we get stuck being afraid to enter into the places of life, the difficult places of life, and those are the places that God calls us into to bring his light, or maybe in the language of chapter 11, to cast his bread. The stormy places on the sea, the house full of dinner guests, seven or eight. Sometimes you know, sometimes you like, sometimes the sinners of the community like Jesus did around him. Tax collectors, prostitutes. Ecclesiastes draws us in the depths of life and then pushes us out into it. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart, in the sight of your eyes, but, an important but, know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Now at first we think, well, this is an unfair thing. He's telling us do it, but then God's going to judge us unless... Unless we understand that God's judgment is not just a negative judgment. It is that. God warns us. Judgment will come. You think you're getting away with things, but you're not really. Righteousness, justice is central to God's promises. I am king over all things and I judge rightly. I see all things God says. knows everything about you Santa Claus doesn't but God does but when we see judgment we need not fear it one if we are in Christ and we need not see every time that God is talking about a negative judgment because while it's true that our lives are always tainted with this hint of sin and even our purest motives aren't pure God looks on goodness and justice and righteousness and he says, well done. And so when we read this last line that all these things bring you into judgment, it's not just a negative judgment, it is a judgment of the positive things you do in life. But it's not just the things you do, it's also a judgment of the things you don't do. Don't you see that sins of omission, the things we fail to do that we should do are just as heinous as the sins of commission, the things we do that we're not supposed to do. But the way of our heart, the way of our heart needs to be shaped so that we can follow God. But God doesn't want us to wait until our heart is fully shaped before we enter into the fight. In fact, I remember a conversation I was having with a friend's father who was a sergeant in the Vietnam War, talking about how young soldiers go into battle, 18, 19, and his comment was, if we recruited 30 year olds, they'd never go into the battle. They they know too much. It's that youth that goes in and does things and oftentimes makes mistakes. And that's why you have commanding officers to hopefully guide and provide that kind of wisdom that's needed in older people and even policies in the military and in the police force as well. You need those things, but you need a youthful energy and willingness to enter into the battle. And so those who are young, children, youth, young adults, hear that you don't have to have all the answers to be a powerful servant, warrior in God's kingdom. But always be pursuing the knowledge of God and wisdom as Solomon passed on to his children. And God passes on to us as his children in his word. It's more than a lifetime of study can exhaust. But it is accessible for you to learn and to grow even today if you read one chapter. Singer-songwriter Rich Mullins, who died a tragic young death, a powerful song called The Maker of Noses. He talks about the advice of the world around him. He said, some said, they say, Boy, you just follow your heart. He says, But my heart just led me into my chest. They said, Follow your nose. He said, But the direction changed every time I went and turned my head. I he said, Boy, you just follow your dreams. But my dreams were only misty notions. Misty, you catch that? I've never even noticed that in this song until studying this in Ecclesiastes. Transient vanity. He says, but the father of hearts and the maker of noses and the giver of dreams, he's the one I've chosen. And I will follow him. I believe there'll come a time, Lord, I pray it's not too far off. There'll be no poverty or crime. There'll be no greed and we will learn how to love and children will be safe in their homes and there'll be no violence out on the streets. The old will not be left alone and the strong will learn how to care for the weak and everyone I know hopes it will come real soon. But when I ask them where I'd find it, they seem so confused. I find it in the day. Do I find it in the night? When I finally ask the world, they give me this advice. Repeats the chorus. Follow your heart. Follow your nose. Follow your dreams. But the wisdom of God says, follow God. And he'll shape your heart and give your heart his desires. Follow God, and he will direct your eyes and your nose And you'll turn to follow him and not just yourself. Follow God and he will give you different dreams that don't center on fame or glory. That don't center on comfort or life's fleeting pleasures. That don't center on wealth or sex. Or even marriages or children. but that recognize that God is the only one who can give us what we dream of. God's the only one who is able to bear the weight of our expectations, our hopes, our desires. He's the only one who can free us from the power of sin and death and give us hope for eternal life, another theme of Ecclesiastes, but also the only one who can give us power to engage in this life, to free us, to run the race that's set before us. Just last week or two weeks ago, we sang the hymn, an old hymn, And Can It Be? We haven't sung it too much, but the third verse of that song says, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night, Thine eye diffu- diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon, flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. The book of Ecclesiastes has been talking about life under the sun. In contrast to what God sees, it is the things that we can see, <coughs> which is only a portion, a, a frosted over glass of what God sees in the truthfulness fullness of life. But it's interesting that in verse seven here in this chapter, he says, light is sweet and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. That image that he's been using to describe our limitation is turned around and used as an image to communicate God's blessing. It is God's blessing to not give us all of the information and yet choose to use us and move us and communicate through us. He closes with verse 10. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body. The note here for pain is also evil. I think evil is a more helpful translation because otherwise it seems like we're trying to escape life. But really, the advice of chapter 11 of Ecclesiastes, as we draw to a close, is to the youth. Don't get caught in the moment. Stuck in a rut. Stuck in a moment you can't get out of it. Don't feel like you have to have all the answers before you enter in. Don't feel like you have to have all the perfection to serve in your place of work, in a role in ministry, in the church, in the community. Be active in your places of life. Serve on boards. Go do projects in the community offer to help watch somebody's kids engage with other parents and how to parent. These are the things of life that God has equipped us to be actively engaged in, doing the things that He has set before us to do. want to close with this one illustration is to just make this point that sometimes God calls us to do things and it seems like it's wasted time sometimes it seems like we keep doing the same thing and we just are failing and sometimes we need to get out of it but oftentimes God calls us to do the same thing over and over again with a purpose with a plan Teaching us, you remember that parable of the uh, of the man in the middle in the middle of the night. You know his friend comes to him needs bread, and he doesn't have any bread, and so he goes to his other friend who he knows has bread, and he, his other friend's not answering the door. He just keeps knocking, and God says, and Jesus tells his disciples, "Look, the point of this is there's persistence needed here. Keep knocking. Sometimes these things take time to develop." When I was a kid. We lived in Michigan, my grandparents lived in Indiana. Every year, so oftentimes twice a year, we'd go down, drive six hours to visit them. And every time we visited them, we drove about 20 minutes to uh, another town where there was a somewhat fancy restaurant and a hotel, and they loved to take us there. Big buffet, we filled ourselves. And every, every time, especially in the springtime, but I think every year we drove this, we'd cross these two old uh, truss bridges um that uh, that that looked like they'd fall down they were so narrow that if you passed with a truck going on the other side you were sure somebody was going to lose a mirror and every time we'd go there'd be these fields that were flooded these these little indiana creeks flooded and they were filled with corn the crop was destroyed so it must have been later summer when when this was happening And I thought every time I'd drive by there, this is tragic that these farmers lose their crop every year. How do they even survive? And it wasn't until I was an adult that I asked somebody, why do they keep planting these crops in these fields that they know are going to flood and they die every year? How do they live? And they said they plant those crops every year, not because those are the crops they live on, Because one year out of every so often, the floods don't destroy the crops. And in those years, they get a bumper crop. They get a little bit of extra. I don't know what they did with the money. I never knew any of those farmers. Maybe they take a vacation. Maybe they just enjoy something that they normally don't. Maybe they store it away for future pay off bills from the past. What I want you to see from that is that oftentimes God calls us into things that we feel like we're just banging our head against a wall, not moving anywhere, seeing no progress. Crops keep getting flooded. But eventually God breaks through. The rain holds off for one year. It doesn't flood. And God pours out his blessing like you've never seen it before. It's happened throughout history over and over again. Where the faithfulness of God's people, young and old, and the trust leads to an opening of the floodgates. And God's blessing is poured out in new and powerful ways through revival, through cultural change through breaking of institutions like slavery and even civil rights, abuses. And we shouldn't expect anything less from God today. But the difficulty for followers of God is that it is, it is oftentimes in those mundane things of life, in those youthful pursuits when they're good, And just various things that we may not expect that God wants to see our faithfulness, our continuing. And not by our own strength, but by the strength that he gives us, not by our own power or might or riches, but by the blessings that he gives to us. He said to Abraham, I will bless you so that you will be a blessing to many. He's blessed us in Christ so that we would be a blessing to many. Cast your bread upon the waters. You'll find it after many days. Let's pray. The Lord, would you direct our hearts. Reshape our desires. Cast our eyes on you, so that we would see the things of life and the people in need more clearly and engage. (coughs) Forgive our sins of omission and our sins of commission. And lead us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. We pray in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.